Welcome back to another edition of Hipster Baseball Podcast, HBP number 101. I'm Dorian, and on today's podcast, we freeze over the holidays, are left at the altar with Carlos Correa, and special guest Stephanie Epstein, Sports Illustrated senior writer, joins us to talk about writing and food. But first, I want to say Happy New Year. Merry Kwanzaa, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Saturnalius, as the ancient Romans would still be celebrating. In my hand, I'm holding a drink like I always do for every single episode. It's called a Cosmic Flurry, which is a tropical fruit sour ale from a good American local brewery. You know, we love supporting good American jobs here. It's called Heavy Seas Brewery in a small town called Halithorpe, Maryland. And before I start drinking, well, that's a lie because I already started drinking. But before I drink on the show, I want to ask you, how was your holiday? How many flights did you miss? What airport has the worst food options when you're stuck there for 12 hours? (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm joking. You know what? Thankfully, I did not miss any flights because we drove during, right? actually before Christmas, so we didn't miss any flights. It was just, you know, your normal holiday traffic. Hold on a second. And I'm saying, I usually, I've acquired a taste for sour ales. And the funny thing is, I looked into it. It's like, how in the world do you make sour ale? Do you just pour a bunch of salt in it? Do you pour some vinegar in it? I don't know. But apparently, what you do, it's very open. It's very hippie. I don't know. That that usually beers are brewed in a very sanitary environment. It's almost as if you're making like silicon chips. Everyone has to be in an outfit. You can't have hair. You, I don't know. But for sours, apparently they like leave things open so that they can intentionally, they welcome different yeast strands from bacteria to go to the barrels from the air. Uh, the, the way I kind of see it is like the sour beers are the price is right contestants of the brewery world. Because they're like, come on down. It's like, we want that bacteria from El Paso, Texas. Come on down and join us to see how this beer is going to come out. We want that contestant from Pensacola, Florida. Come on in, you disgusting bacteria. (laughs) I'm joking. It's not disgusting. I really, I'm telling you, this past year, I've really enjoyed sours. And the funny thing is that sour that sour beers have a lot in common with other dairy products like yogurt and sauerkraut. Well, obviously sauerkraut is not a is not a dairy product, but they allow the bacteria that is common in yogurt and sauerkraut to go into the beer that turns into a sour beer. It's called Yakotobacillus. Yakotobacillus, which is Latin. And the only other thing off the top of my head, Latin that I remember is Audentis Fortuna Juvat, which translates as Fortune favors the bold. I have been on the podcast in a while because I've been taking it easy. I've been traveling. I've been trying to escape the dang cold that was going all over America over the Christmas year, the Christmas season. Goodness gracious, was it cold all over North America. I mean, you couldn't escape it. You know this. If you were in Texas, if you were in Florida, if you were in Puerto Rico, even in the Caribbean, it was cold in comparison to previous years. And you know what? The cold drought is over, but if you're in if you're in California, but if you're in California, 
everyone's always complaining that the there's a drought going on in the four states of Arizona, Colorado, Nevada, California. Did I already say that? And everyone's like, we have to restrict water. We can't be watering this. This is the, the lowest that the Hoover Dam or God knows what has been in 500 years. But then you know what? Mother Nature just said, don't worry, baby, I got you. Mother Nature just opened up a fire hydrant all over California, all over Nevada and said, oh, you're thirsty? Drink. Oh, you're thirsty? Drink some more. Oh, you're still thirsty? Here's even more. <laughs> and humans in California are like, okay, enough. Basta, basta. No, no more water. Mother Nature says, here's a little bit more rain for you. <laughs> so it's not a funny thing, but it's kind of funny. Obviously, I know people have been displaced. There's been a couple of uh, people have died, but Mother Nature's not playing around. She's like, you think this is a drought? Watch this. I'm about to open up Noah's Ark on you. So cheers to Mother Nature for giving us way more water than we need in California. Cheers to Mother Nature for making it way too cold around Christmas than it really shouldn't have been. <laughs> and cheers to this sour beer that I have in my hand because, as always... A picture of my drink will be on the Instagram and Twitter accounts. And it made me think about this sour beer that I have in my hand. You know you know who else got stuck in airports? You know who else may be a little sour from some of the bacteria that's been going around in Northern California and in uh, over in Astoria, not Astoria, but in uh, Flushing, in, in Queens? Carlos Correa. What the heck has been going on? Again, I know I haven't been on the on the on the show for about a month or three weeks. I've been taking an extended sabbatical, <laughs> but I'm back. Don't worry. Was he? What do you think about Carlos Correa? Was he left at the altar, or did he? Oh yeah, maybe. Uh, was he not willing to sign a prenup with uh, the San Francisco Giants because everyone was like, Carlos Correa signing with San Francisco Giants? No, Carlos Correa signing with the New York Mets. No. Carlos Correa signing with the Bad News Bears. No. Carlos Correa signing with Tren del Norte in the North Korean, in the North Korean, <laughs> in the Nicaraguan Winter League. No. Finally, after all that nonsense, Carlos Correa has to go back to Minnesota. And that has to feel kind of crappy because you're like, you know, he probably didn't buy a house in the Minneapolis area of, over the past year. He probably rented some phenomenal suite. And he's like, oh, hey, guys, I'm back I'm in, in Minneapolis. <laughs> now, as you all know, it's that issue with his, I think it was his right ankle. I mean, I'm not a podiatrist, but I do know that he had some pretty good years these last two years. In 2021, he had an OPS plus of 131. In 2022, he had an OPS plus of 140. So this is a very good player. I would love to ask a podiatrist. And actually, right now, I'm thinking, do I know any podiatrist? I do. And he was my podiatrist like two years ago when I broke my ankle. But I'm not going to just like call him up because right now I don't remember his name. Nevertheless, I'm really interested to know what in the world is it about an ankle that two teams said, we're going to pass Carlos Correa. But nevertheless, Carlos Correa can dry his tears with the hundreds of millions of dollars that the Minnesota Twins will continue to pay him over the next lifetime of his contract. And speaking of tears, speaking of cold we also have to remember this week's show sponsor, ActiFed Cold Tablets. You think colds are bad on Earth? Try one in space. When you're weightless, nothing drains. 
your nose, your sinuses, they all stay stuffed up. You feel terrible. That's why ActiFed cold tablets are standard equipment for every astronaut. ActiFed delivers. It's the cold tablet most recommended by doctors for fast relief in space and on Earth. Earth, 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 Earth. <laughs> Cheers to ActiFed cold tablets because we're all going to need that eventually during this winter season, whether you're getting the RSVP, whatever it's called, COVID-23, the, the sub-variant of the sub-variant of the sub-variant. Goodness gracious, people. Take care of yourselves. Hydrate and take your ActiFed cold tablets. Our next guest knows all about the cold weather. She's a native of New England and currently a New Yorker. This week's guest is Stephanie Epstein, who is a senior writer for Sports Illustrated. Stephanie, welcome to HBP. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to have you on because we haven't had a writer on yet. And I always find it fascinating. What is the pro what's that? And I love creatives, creatives. What is that creative process for you of how do you go from, you know what, guys, I have an idea there, or I have a topic that I want to write about to pitch it to, I don't know, one of your editors. What's that process of from idea to actually being able to hold it in your hands because I used to be a big subscriber to Sports Illustrated or to go on to sportsillustrated.com and read your work? Well, for me, a lot of it is uh, panicking and worrying. I think that's that's probably the most important part of the process. That's the part I've really perfected. I, I think, I mean, I guess I think whatever part of the story I'm in is the hardest part, but I do think idea generation is one of the hardest parts because it requires, first of all, it's just hard to come up with something that other people haven't thought of. And it also is hard to find the way in, I think. So, you know, very often people, I think, sometimes editors or people starting out will think, oh, I have a story idea. It's the name of this player. Well, that's not a story idea. That's a person. So you need to come up with why anyone should care about that person. What is the way in? What And it's not that person's job either to make the story interesting. So either their situation has to be interesting or they have to, you know, you have to have questions that you think they might be interesting in, in answering. But there has to be something, I think, beyond just like, yeah, that guy's pretty good at baseball. Uh, because as it turns out, that gets old. That gets old pretty fast. That's uh, There's not really a second sentence after that sometimes. So often... For me, the best ideas come from just being around. Uh, so I try to go to the ballpark every day, even if I don't have anything in particular I'm working on, because I think just talking to people, you tend to bump into stuff. You get, you tend to get to know the characters a little bit better. You get to, you can sort of eavesdrop on them over here, what they're talking about, what they think is important and what matters. Uh, and sometimes then you also can go up to them and you don't, I don't always like to have my hand out, like, hey, can you please give me a quote about this particular topic? It's, I think it can be more instructive to just, or more productive, I guess, to just go up to somebody and talk like a person. And then you sort of get to know each other and you get, you kind of get to have an idea of, of who they are. And then sometimes that leads you into something. Uh, so from there, if by some miracle I have come up with an idea, I tend to pitch it to my editors. Sometimes they have ideas uh, and their ideas are good. It, I think it usually works better if the writer has the idea, just because it's it can be hard to execute someone else's idea. You you can't. Uh, it's hard to aim perfectly at a bullseye when you didn't when you didn't invent the bullseye. You know when it's someone else's when you can't quite see what they're looking at. So whatever, then the editor will sometimes help refine the idea, and then from there, do this. I try to do as many interviews as possible. Uh, I'm just always terrified I won't have enough. So then from there, the writing process, and then. Then we go through edits, uh, which can be easy or not so easy. It depends on how well I've done my job. Uh, and then 
And then from there, it tends to be pretty collaborative. And then usually you get to see what's before you. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact checking. That's what I started as. And that is a very important part of the process as well. They save us a lot. It's, it's also, I know it's also important in, in academia that it, especially when you go to grad school, it's like if it's all, I almost feel as if when you're, if, when you're in grad school or if you went to grad school, your ideas don't count unless someone else had them, then you can, you know, put a little foot, sure. you know, uh, end note number 23. That drove me crazy about that. But I'm certainly appreciative of your work because I read a lot. I, I, this is an audio podcast, but I see that you're sitting in front of a massive bookcase. I love, I'm a, I'm a big fan of books. So I, I'm a consumer of works of writers like yourself. And how how did you manage to blend the passions of baseball and writing? But why 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 writing about baseball? Why why not do anything else and sure. like be blending those two passions? Well, I do think it's important to love both writing and baseball, writing and sports. I guess if you want to be a sports writer, I think sometimes people get into it thinking like, "Sweet, I just get to watch sports." But I think you'll notice that the best journalists tend to love the writing as much as they love the sports um and that you know the whatever the levels can change over time but i do think it's really important to to separate your it's not just like professional fan it's 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 pretty different from that actually and in some time sometimes can sort of disabuse you of many of the notions you had as a fan uh being around it being around things i think tends to make them more real which some in some cases makes them less myth it's uh, like eating ice cream every day. You're gonna if you even if it's the best ice cream in the world, you you're gonna yeah. it's still ice cream, but it's not as enjoyable. Oh no, that's the wrong word. Sure. And if you see it get made, maybe there's more to it. The process, maybe you don't love as much of the process as you thought you did. Unless, maybe somebody you're not so nice to you. And... Yeah, unless you're ordering a McFlurry from McDonald's, because then you never see it made because the machine's always broken, of course. It's a <laughs> sure. old sure. joke. <laughs> For me, what I love about sports in particular, and I think baseball is a good example of this is that it's not really about at least for me it's not really about the the results of the game as much as it's about the people and what I like about sports is that it gives us stakes that are inherent in the activity and that everybody is sort of familiar with and they're they're artificial but because like there's no reason that a game in February or late February is any different from a game in October except that we said that one of them counts more than the other. I mean, it's like, it's logistically, it's the same thing, but we said that this one matters and this one doesn't. And so we treat it as if this one matters and this one doesn't. And it, there just aren't that many areas of life where the emotions are that pure. I think um, we, we spend so much time being jaded or pretending that we're jaded. You know, people get broken up with and they say that they never really liked the person anyway, or there are just a lot of times when people downplay their emotions but I've never seen an athlete say that it didn't hurt when they lost. And I've never seen an athlete say that it wasn't incredible when they won. And I think there's a lot of value in being honest with ourselves about what that feels like and in chasing those feelings um, and in one of them naturally relying on the other. I mean, you can't, it doesn't really mean anything to win if you've never lost. And the loss is more painful because of how close you might've been to the win. And so I think there's a lot of a lot of sort of rich material for writers in that all of these stakes are inherent, uh, that you don't have to explain why this matters to this person. We just sort of all acknowledge that it does. And we get to see people at their sort of purest and rawest in a way that we might not get to in other in other areas. I mean, I think there's a lot of 
importance and stakes and drama probably in accounting, but we don't, we don't talk about it because we don't, we're not as familiar with it. And so this is, I think sports are a really good window into elements of humanity. I also think you can trick people into caring about people they wouldn't care about because of sports. I mean, I, once I wrote, I wrote about Chris Davis who was playing for the Orioles and he was on pace to have the worst season in baseball history. He came just short of that, I think. And I wrote about just what it was like for him to go to work every day and fail. And afterward, I looked at his Twitter mentions, which I would never really recommend anyone do at any point. This was years ago. And I noticed that a lot of people were tweeting at him and saying, hey, man, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize how hard this was for you. Like, I'll stop being so nasty. And I thought that that, I mean, you know, it's sports, whatever. But what else is the goal other than occasionally reminding people that we're all human? And so I I did... I think that there is a lot of value in sports for that reason. Uh, and baseball in particular, I just think is beautiful. I think that there's, I've always loved that it's on every day. I, you know, I guess now there will be a clock because of the pitch clock, but theoretically there's no clock. There's no, you can't kill the clock. You have to, you know, you got to give the other guy a pitch to hit and give him a chance. So there's really no, there's no running out the clock. There's no, you're, you're always really still in it mathematically. And I like, I like that. I like. I really like the everydayness of it. I think that that relates well to life because sometimes it's boring, and that's okay. Sometimes life is boring, and I think that makes the the victories, you know, the the World Series feel even better if you slogged through an August blowout where your you know your team's just getting crushed in the first game of a doubleheader, but then you stick around for October. I think that there's you're really rewarded for for being there, and I think there's a, a lot of beauty in that too. You certainly talk about baseball like a writer, which is a good thing. And by the way, I do, I do want to tell everyone that the 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 season that you were talking about with uh, Chris Davis that he struggled, it was actually back-to-back seasons. It was the 2018, 2019, 2018 and 2019 when he'd had that uh, unfortunately horrific batting average, I think around uh, 170 or what have you. Being a writer... Who do you like to read outside of just sports journalism? Like, do you read the poetry of John Keats, of Hemingway? Because I think a lot of times those of us, when I read, I want to be able to write like the authors that I read, even though they have one has nothing. One is talking about a topic that has nothing to do with the other. How is that for you of inspiration? But your day job is writing about baseball. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's you can choose to if you want to every everything you consume can be sort of fodder for the work, right? Like even watching TV, there's pacing, there's, it's all storytelling. And so if you want to, you can be paying attention to why did that transition work? Why did they keep that crucial piece of information about that character from me until, you know, midway through the episode? And why did they deploy it at that point? If you want to, you can really be picking up strategies from, from everywhere. And so I try to read a lot of fiction because nobody draws characters better than, you know, people who are creating them. And so I try to notice you can't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm based on the truth. So I can't just imagine what would be the the best outcome, but I think it's helpful to see in these stories where the writer is really dedicated to making them as, as interesting as possible. What did they do and how did that work? And what, if you end up with a story, you know, how do you build suspense? I'm working on a story right now about, where there's a theft and we're trying to, you know, figure out who did it. And so this is true, but I can read a ton of detective novels. There are all kinds of 
you know, I can watch crime shows. There are plenty of everything's about maintaining suspense. And so I think there is there are lessons to be learned in almost everything. There's there are lessons to be learned in things that I read and was not thrilled with. Like, why didn't I think that worked? What what uh, you know, what descriptions fell flat for me? Which parts of the writing didn't seem to seem like there was too much going on or whatever didn't work. So I try to try to keep track of all of that. But sometimes it is nice to just turn that part off and just uh, just enjoy a plot and not focus too much on trying to learn from it. Sometimes it's just nice to enjoy the book. Driving, driving that point a little bit of what you just mentioned about being able to not pivot, but uh, concentrate on other things besides either writing about sports or reading about sports, your fellow, you know, not coworkers, but someone, someone in your same field, what is, I'm sure there's a lot of pieces, articles that you're proud, you're more proud or happier of how they came out than before, or even some that maybe were more enjoyable than, than others. What would you like to do as a writer of maybe not continue? Obviously, I'm sure you enjoy your job, but what is it something that, you know what, like, obviously you can tell secrets because it's just you and me. What, what, what else, how else do you want to challenge yourself as a, as a writer and as a creative person in, in your field? It's a good question. And it surprises people. I think sometimes they ask sort of like what I want to do next as like my next job. And it's just this, I just want to be better at it. I don't, I don't want to be an editor. I don't, I mean, I would someday maybe I would like to write a book. That would be a really cool thing to be able to do. Uh, it's right about hard. what? So that's that if I, as soon as I answer that question, I can <laughs> try to do it, but you have to really. Let's do, let, let's pretend this is a Hollywood pitch. We're in LA, you know, you're, you're, you're taught, you're, you're, I don't know, you're writing an article about Mike Trout or I don't know the, the, the sunset days of Clayton Kershaw. And, but I'm like, Hey, Stephanie, come into my office. I'm the CEO of Warner brothers, whatever. Let's do a pitch here. I know the off season's coming up soon or we're still in the off season. Let's pitch something. You're, you're going to write a book. How about blending? Cause you got to do very Hollywood, Hollywood, Hollywood Lee of like, let's do like Carmen San Diego meets, um, I don't know, Pele. It's like you're going around the world saving some kind of civilization one ball at a time. That was a really bad pitch. I would throw myself out. Don't, don't, don't use that as pitch. We'll keep that as a backup option. <laughs> Something to do with Carmen San Diego because you naturally travel for 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 work. Hmm. And again, I have to travel sometimes for work. And a lot of times, I think even if those of us who have to travel sometimes, when we look at someone like either athletes or, or sports journalists, like yourself that always had to travel, we're like, wow, it must be so great to be able to go see great places in Austin, Texas, and LA and San Diego, Miami, what have you. But do you even really have time to like check out your like a, a nice place in, I don't know, Atlanta or, or Seattle? Less than I think I might have imagined when I started doing this. I try now, my goal is to, I try to eat one meal that I'm happy about per day that I'm somewhere. And I try to do one thing on the trip that I enjoy. So a lot of the time that'll be going to a museum. Uh, oh my God. You're speaking my language. Cool. You're speaking my language. What, all right. What is a museum you like in Miami? So I actually have spent almost no time in Miami. Really? The first time this year. Okay. Uh, my sister's bachelorette party in two weeks and it's in Miami. I don't think we're going to be doing a ton of museums, unfortunately. <laughs> we are going to go see the Wynwood Walls. We're doing okay. a, okay. a Sunday 
part of the day walking down there. I am go. I, I'm going to send you a, a list of some museums in Miami um, that are. Uh, you know, Miami. I think Miami is not as a cultured city, so to speak, as like an LA or New York or even Philly, which I think is very underrated, or Chicago. But Miami's gotten so much better over the past 15 years when it comes just to established museums. And also art galleries. I know this isn't an art show, but I do. I, when I travel, I love doing. I love going to art museums. I love eating ice cream. Um, I love watching okay. baseball as well, which is always a good thing. You know, going. I'm, I mostly watch baseball up and down the East Coast, but yeah, I I would love to get a list of those because I uh, I yeah, the Marlins unfortunately have not been that good while really baseball, and so there hasn't been too many opportunities to go down there. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to come up with some because I had a great time. I do want to say that the if I I, I I don't know if you well you probably haven't been to now what it's called the Lone Depot Lone oh, Depot Park yes. Lone Depot Stadium whatever it's I, it's it's actually is- it's it looks like a spaceship outside and you can see it like when you come into the airport and you're driving around what have you I do have to give it to Lone Depot that the site the the sight lines are amazing. In the sense of when you're walking around the concourse, when you're getting a beer, you're getting some food, you go into the restroom, what have you. Well, as you're walking, you actually see directly down into the field. Like there's no obstructed view. Yeah, that's so I was there for two okay, days. Okay, never mind. Sure you should have stopped me five minutes ago. No, I was impressed. <laughs> yeah. uh, my only real gripe is that they moved the home run statue. I thought that was outrageous. That was really a cool Miami thing. They paint. It was supposed to. I miss it being that green color. Like just lean in. This is goofy. This is a sport. You don't have to make it all look like, you know, Safeco Field or whatever they're calling it and T-Mobile Park and, uh, we and can, Seattle. You know, they, they don't all, just because that park looks good doesn't mean they all have to look like that park. For that, we can thank the dearly departed Derek Jeter, which I was not a big fan. I am not a Marlins fan, but I, I personally, I'm from Miami, spent a lot of time in Miami, and I'm not a fan of uh, what he wanted to just make it Yankee South. It's like, the, yeah. you're you're adjust to the adjust to the culture so yeah. that was not good but nevertheless nevertheless uh so here's something that I, i'm curious about you obviously as a as a senior writer for sports illustrated you are consistently uh, publishing articles how many do you do at a time because i'm thinking you know you see something pop up and you're like surely did i'm sure you can but do you is that turnaround time for that is six days eight days or are you working on various articles at the same time it's a hard balance to strike. Uh, I'm working on a longer term story right now that I filed Friday, I guess. And I've been working through edits. And then yesterday, I don't know when this is going to come out, but it was Tuesday uh, is when Correa signed with the twins. Right. So my editors were like, can you stop working on this other story? We need something on Correa to the twins. Okay. So I wrote that. Uh, but I'm also, you know, I'm working on the, I've got like two or three things that I'm sort of working on at any moment. And okay. then, I got to be ready to drop things if news happens. That's that's good to know. I'm not a writer, but I I want I'm an aspiring writer uh, to do that. So that's good to know. You have to be juggling things at uh, various things at the same time. And speaking of let's let's mentally stay in Florida. Uh, the word in the street. There's a rumor there that you love cats, and I want to take you from Miami. And I love cats too. I want to take you from Miami. When you go visit the, when you go write an article on just the insanity that it is the Tampa Bay Rays and how how they continuously look to spend one thousand dollars a year and they still make the playoffs, which is uh, they're my second favorite team by the way. The Braves are my first favorite team, but the Rays drive me insane. We can thank a New Yorker for that, but I'm, I'm no offense. Uh, I know you're not from New York, but it's uh, but I'm babbling. 
in St. Pete, uh, just a few miles away from where Tropicana Field, the ugliest, but yes, yet most charming stadium in all of Major League Baseball, is a cat cafe called Sunshine Katie Cat Fay, which I think is the best. And you should you have to reserve ahead of time. So whenever you're able, whenever you are sent to Tampa, which I think which has beautiful beaches and everything, definitely check out Sunshine Kitty Cafe. They have like everything is beautifully. Uh, I was going to say manicured. They have it's beautifully painted. They have all these games and things for the cats to run around. And by the way, this is not a paid advertisement. I just really enjoyed it there. They make you take your shoes off before you go into the cafe, so you, you're not trekking in mud or anything like that. I've been to other cat cafes around the country, and they don't make you take your shoes off. And I always try to like you know quietly tell them, and this is my platform to tell them. Please make everyone take your shoes off when you go to this cat cafe. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised my cat has not made an appearance. He seems <laughs> to know as soon as I turn on Zoom, he wants to, he wants nothing more than to sit in my lap and stare at the camera. It's so funny because you're the second consecutive guest that has a cat because uh, last month when I was interviewing Carlos Colazzo from Baseball America, his cat was also in the background just napping, watching uh, his dad basically yeah. <laughs> do, do some interview work. So yeah, big, big fan. So I know I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I want to play a little game here where uh, you always think like who, who you're from originally from New England, correct? Yes. I grew up in Boston. Right so I take it you're a Red Sox fan, maybe a Blue Jays fan. I or was maybe as a no kid. I mean, right. As I said, you sort of, you know, you're, you're, pro, you're a pro. You're a pro now. You're a pro. Yeah. But I am aware that my 13 year old self would think this was nuts. That Absolutely. I and so wh- whether it's a, f- whether we're fans of, of a, of a sports team, we're always like, man, I wouldn't have signed this person. I would have signed this person. I would have, you know, taken this guy out. I would have pinched what have you. In fantasy land here, let's say you are the Major League Baseball commissioner for a day in New York. You have all, I endow you with all the powers that be as one of the 30 odd owners, and they're very odd. What would you, what would you do for those 24 hours that you're, you're the, you're the commissioner? What would you do? What would Stephanie Epstein do as MLB commissioner? I mean, I feel like these answers are going to be kind of boring. Uh, would I get to keep, would my changes get to stay or I can only make changes that Oh, no, they would stay. Well, they, no. they would stay. It's like you, okay. you enacted a law and that's it. Okay. All right. Well, I apologize if these are not imaginative <laughs> enough. Maybe as I work through them, I can think of something crazier and more exciting. I did. I had a, a colleague, Jack Dickey, who wanted uh, all pitches thrown harder than 95 miles an hour to be called balls because he thought that would encourage pitchers to th- less hard and that would uh-huh. make it easier to hit so i kind of like that idea uh, my strategy for that would just be i would limit the pitchers on the roster to 10 i think that that would that would fix a lot of the offensive problems uh i would be on that right away we could have 15 or 16 hitters 10 pitchers i think all of a sudden offense would be way up we would like that uh from a fan relations standpoint i thought atlanta did a good job this year actually with uh the big rain delay they cut all concession prices in half during rain delays and i think that they should do that because it would first of all that's a nice thing to do second uh i think these these ridiculous rain delays where we sit there forever because they're trying to sell concessions it, those are garbage and this would uh that would cut down on some of that so those are my those are my two incredibly unimaginative ideas that i actually think would have a huge impact i'm going to push back on 10 pitchers are you not afraid that their arms are going to fall off after 162 uh, games i think that there would be some there definitely could be injuries, <laughs> and you're you okay with that. In such a way, well, you could also it opens just up spots so as not to hurt yourself if you don't throw as hard, right? 
you can you can do that if the if uh you know if they're not going to guys for two or three bat i mean not three batters but whatever if you're if you're sticking with guys a little bit longer rather than using them every night for a few batters i think you could find yourself i mean they used to do it it used to work the arms haven't gotten worse i'm I think not it, i think against, it's doable it is i'm not against the cutting the concession prices in rain delay my thing is that the first team that pops to mind, you, you talked about the Atlanta Braves doing good by cutting the prices in half during a rain delay. The Washington Nationals at Nationals Park, if there's a rain delay, they the the the, the workers of the concession stands are, are part of a I don't know a union or just their subcon they're a, they're a contracting company, and so their contract ends I think at ten thirty at night if a game starts at seven, okay. and if it runs over, you literally cannot buy a bottle of water at eleven o'clock at night. And it drives you insane. And I'm like, so this goes to potentially the the fact of rain delays. Why not get rid of rain delays and make everyone have a retractable roof? Yeah. You know, it drives me insane that I've always said, let us ban baseball games in, no offense, in Boston, Fenway Park, in Wrigley Field, in uh, what's the target, Target Field in Minnesota. All these cold, cold places in April and May because oh, it's totally. like, well, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, we cannot play there unless you decide to put a roof because it's baseball. It's not it's not basketball and climate control. It's not ice hockey climate control. It's not football where unless it's lightning, you You're play right. through it all. And it drives me crazy. It's like we don't need to be here for five hours. But I have another idea. We should institute uh, the option of a mercy rule. I have two more. <laughs> OK, mercy rule. And that way we never have to hear again about like, oh, he shouldn't have swung 3-0. If you thought right. the game was over, you can, you, can, you can forfeit. That's true. That's it. My other one is I think that uh, hockey, you mentioned hockey has a great call with the emergency backup goalie. I think baseball teams should be able as a, an emergency catcher to designate anyone they can find. So if that's the manager, that's fine. If that's a guy in the stands, that's fine too. If that's you know somebody's mom, get him in there. I think emergency catcher, if you lo- if your first two catchers go down, your third can be anyone they can find. That That's would be fun. That, it would be Who fun. No? Be, okay, then you would have to trade the mercy rule for the emergency catcher because if it's if you're down if your team is down ten nothing in the third inning, you're probably not going to come back. So let's get the guy who used to be an all star regional catcher in high school. To come down for an inning too. It's a great story to tell. Fine. I agree with you. I think that's worth it. I would give uh, up the mercy rule for the for the backup catcher. We don't need to see it that often. But a couple times a season, that'd be great. I would everyone pl- would watch. They want ratings. Everyone would watch that game. Everyone definitely. would know whether I, you know Terry Francona can get back there. I would definitely apply for a position as a senior advisor in the office of the commissioner if for the twenty four hours that you're there. And you know what? Maybe yeah. you decide to stay on forever. We'll see. I, I, I don't think that'd I be think a that bad would be idea. So popular, I would have no choice. You're right. The I do want to I do want to let everyone know as well that Stephanie, I, I the, the most of your career has been writing about baseball, following baseball, but you also have uh, written other written about other sports and followed other sports. What are some other sports you want to share with us? I know what they are, but I just want you to talk. Sure, uh, I do a little bit of golf and I, I cover the Olympics, uh, and those are a lot of fun because it. I mean, it's, it's nice to mix it up a little bit, uh, and it's fun to drop in mostly at. The most important moments. I mean, I mostly do golf majors. I don't do a lot of the regular tournaments and the Olympics are obviously the most important moment in the four year cycle for these people. And so it's fun to show. It's like, if you only went to the Super Bowl, 
you know, you just see the most important moment in somebody's life all the time. And I think that's, that's really cool. It's a lot of fun. I mean, if you can't get up for, for that, I don't know what you're doing. So it's, it's a lot of fun to get to be a part of those hugely important moments when the stakes are so high. I know that you did cover the Olympics in Tokyo, the 2020 Olympics, which were actually held in 2021. And going back to an earlier comment, you're saying like one of my, you didn't say resolution, but I'm putting words in your mouth. One of the things you want to do now is enjoy one meal in every city that you have to go to for baseball. Did you have any good meals when you were in Tokyo for the Olympics? I did. It was challenging because we were so uh, cut off with COVID. So for the first 14 days, we truly could not go anywhere but we did have access to Uber Eats. Um, I unfortunately do not speak or read Japanese. And so we would basically just guess. Uh, we would just pick, like click on a restaurant at U- an Uber Eats and sort of just click on some stuff and see what showed up. And that was actually awesome. And then after 14 days, we were allowed to leave the premises a little bit. And so we got to have a couple of meals in restaurants. And that was that was incredible. It was sad to think about how much fun that Olympics would have been under normal circumstances because Tokyo is great and they were so ready to show off. I mean, I, I remember even the bathroom doors, the port, so these are like portable bathrooms, the stall doors each had a little um, like engraving of the, the Olympic logo. This is how hard the this com- Olympic committee tried to make this beautiful. And it was just sad that people didn't really get to see it. Uh, so hopefully they'll get another one one of these days. But it was very cool when we got to enjoy a little bit. I love the attention to detail detail that Japanese culture has. It's un- And then right when you talked about that engraving on the lock of the bathroom door, it's just such class. I love it. I love it. I love it. The And, and I'm also, you know, and speaking of which, I know it's uh, March is coming up with the World Baseball Classic. You're in Japan. I, I, I just wish a lot of American baseball fans would follow the, the winter leagues in Latin America, the Japanese league, et cetera. I know, I know there was a little bit of that during 2020 because there was literally no baseball and sure. major league baseball just pooped the bed when it comes to just, they could have been the only show in town. They waited until July. Again, another topic for another day. Nevertheless, uh, continuing on food. And again, knowing that, uh, that we, we don't have all, all the time in the world, I always love highlighting good local places. It doesn't have to be a Michelin star restaurant. It doesn't, you know, it also can't be like your mom's house because no one's going to be able to eat at your mom's place. But what's a local place uh, that you go for coffee, a drink, uh, the diner, restaurant that you love, you love, you, you, you enjoy going to in the New York area? I think so. When you sent me this, I thought about it. And the place I probably go most often is a place called Daily Provisions, uh, which is right on the corner or right next to Union Square Cafe. It's a it's a Danny Meyer establishment, and I I love his work. I love I love what he does, but I don't know if Danny Meyer needs the press. So I think the place that is that is probably uh, that's where I am most often. But the place that I most often suggest when friends are coming to town and want to have dinner is uh, a place called Thursday Kitchen in the East Village. It is it's like Korean small plates. And it is so, so good. It's a great place to take anyone from out of town because it's likely that wherever they live does not have this exact restaurant. Uh, They have a great, they have a great setup. They have, I don't, I think maybe they don't have a full liquor license, but they have like soju drinks that are in adult Capri Sun pouches, which is really fun. fun. Uh, Light up ice cubes, the menus, I I guess now because of the pandemic menus are qr codes but they used to be on 
remember those little board books you used to read as a kid uh with like the golden spines so that that was yes. the menu it's yeah. a great great spot and the food's incredible uh and it's a really fun place so that would be my i'm definitely gonna write that down to go in uh next time i'm in new york because i know one of my favorite places is in chinatown it's a, a taiwanese place i think I, I wish i could remember what it's called i think it's called like Taiwan Chop House Number One. I know it has the the, num- the number one in the title, but I'm definitely I want definitely want to check that place out next time in New York. I'm I'm going to write that down when I go back and uh, re-listen to this. But that's yeah. that's good. Yeah, I, kitchen, I'm definitely going to write all that down because uh, yeah, that again, like I said earlier, art, ice cream, food. Like lo- I love hole in the walls. That's my favorite <laughs> to do. But I also love baseball, and I really appreciate you being here. So I want to tell everyone that uh, where Stephanie, uh, please let us know where they can find you. And again, I want to thank you for joining us on HVP. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Please take us away. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. You can uh, you can find me on SI.com. That's where my work is or in the magazine. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at uh, Steph Epstein, S-T-E-P-H-A-P-S-T-E-I-N. I want to thank Stephanie for joining us this week. I always enjoy talking with creative people. And I also want to thank new listeners. It's been a while, so this is a bit of, bit of a list here. I want to thank a new listener from St. Helens, England, from Las Palmas de Gran Canaria, Spain, from someone from Bourne, England, Warsaw, Poland, Vilnius, Lithuania, beautiful city, by the way, underrated. Go to the Baltics, everyone. The Baltic states are underrated in Europe. Riga, Latvia. Riga, in my opinion, is the most beautiful city in the Baltic states. Also, someone from, I'm going to need help here from the HBB bullpen, Gwangju, South Korea. So I'm going to call upon the bullpen because I know I screwed that up. Gwangju. Gwangju, South Korea. Some city called Calhoun. I have absolutely no idea where that is. And lastly, a new listener from Palsy Island, South Carolina. I want to thank all all of our loyal listeners. I want to thank new listeners and I want to thank future listeners because one, happy 2023. Thanks for listening. And I have more awesome episodes and guests line up throughout the year. Let's get together next time for a brand new episode of HPP Hipster Baseball Podcast. Bye. Bye.